got a church Bible, it's on page 1169. And we're going to pick up in verse 19. Now this is, um, if you were here last week, you'll know that this is part of last week's passage, um, which we didn't quite get to. I feel like I, I want to have another crack at this bit. Um, and then we're going to go into chapter 3. Um, but let's, let's read from Galatians 2, verse 19, through to chapter 3, verse 6. So this is written by the Apostle Paul, and he writes, For through the law... I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, let me just do a recap of where we've got to in Galatians. Um, hopefully you're going to get really used to this. I, I really want us to know the whole book, uh, not word for word, but to know the outline of it, to know how it works. And so Paul, in the book of Galatians, he starts with this idea that there is one true gospel, just one. And it is the gospel about Jesus Christ, the one who's risen from the dead, who gave himself for our sins, who glorifies God. It's all about Christ, one gospel. But these churches that Paul is writing to are turning to another gospel, which is not really a gospel. In fact, it's no gospel at all. And they're deserting the one gospel and turning to no gospel. And Paul is writing them to say, you're abandoning the one true gospel. And the reason you know it's the one true gospel is because Paul didn't make it up, nor was he taught it by a human being, but he received it directly from Jesus Christ. That's his claim. That's what all of chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2 is about. So this one true gospel about Christ comes straight from Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm preaching that gospel. But then last week we saw this shocking moment when Peter, another of the apostles, who's also called Cephas, Peter turned from the one true gospel to the no gospel. And rather than eating with the Gentiles, he was Jewish, instead he began to withdraw, separate himself from the Gentiles. And so Paul had to oppose him and say to him, no, you're turning to no gospel, because no gospel, the, the message that they're tempted to believe, is that what defines you as God's people, how you know that you're God's people, is whether you keep the law, the law of God. And that the righteous are those who keep the Jewish law, and those who are sinners are the ones who are outside. 
And Paul is writing to the Galatians to say that's not the gospel. The gospel is that the righteous are those who are made right. The justified, they're all the same word, right? We keep using different words, they're all the same. The justified are the ones who are God's people by faith in Jesus. Who hold on to Jesus. That's sort of where we've got to, and we're going to dig into that a little bit more. But let me start with this. I wonder if you have ever described yourself as a rubbish Christian. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, it's brilliant you're here. I hope this afternoon you're going to hear some stuff about Jesus that perhaps will surprise you and make you think. But if you are a Christian, I wonder if the thought has ever crossed your minds, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm rubbish. I'm rubbish at it. I guess it could be what you would call imposter syndrome, yeah? You sit in church like this, and deep down, you feel like you don't really quite belong. Because you look at other people, and they look like really good Christians. And you feel rubbish. And on the way in, if we'd done an anonymous survey, I should perhaps have done this, and then asked you, are you a good Christian or a rubbish Christian? My guess is that most of us would have said, I, I feel like a rubbish Christian. And let me up a bit from with you, I'm a pastor. And there are often days when I think I'm a rubbish Christian. Right, here's what we're going to do today. I want, I want you to hear this so clearly. If you can understand what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, what we're going to see, you will discover there is no such thing as a rubbish Christian. They don't exist. The only type of Christian that exists is a righteous Christian. That's the only sort there is. So this idea that I might be rubbish actually isn't true. Now you might be going, hang on a second, but I am rubbish. I genuinely, I, I, think you're, I am a rubbish Christian. Okay, well, we need to push into that. See, what happens? The imposter syndrome, um, if you've ever experienced that in any walk of life, you know, you walk into a party and you feel like, oh, I don't belong here, or you're in your workplace and everybody else seems to be much more qualified than you, and you're just bluffing it, right? You're totally blagging it. You don't know what you're doing, and you feel at any moment someone's going to go, you don't know what you're doing. You really worry that someone's going to ask you that question that exposes you, right? You, you felt this, right? Surely some of you felt this. What do you do when you feel like you're an imposter? What you do is you work hard to try and prove yourself. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to prove that you're worthy. You've got to prove that you belong. And I've had a number of conversations with people, particularly because, let me give you an example. Um, if you are a woman who, in a, in a career space that is predominantly dominated by men, it isn't just that you feel you have to be as good as the men. You have to prove yourself to be, you have to work harder, right, in order to prove that you're worthy. <coughs> That's what it feels like when you don't really feel like you belong. You have to work harder to prove yourself, right? Proving yourself, do you know what another word for that is? Justifying yourself. I've got to justify myself. I've got to show people that I am worth it. And that's what happens in churches all the time. 
You sit in church and you feel like a rubbish Christian and so what you try and do is justify yourself. You try and find a way to justify yourself. Now look, let's try and transplant ourselves back in time into southern Turkey, to Galatia. I wonder what it would have felt like to be in the church there. Okay, let's, let's pretend that um, we're mostly Gentile. That won't be too difficult for most of us to pretend because that is our reality. Most of us here probably aren't from a Jewish background. And the message of Jesus has come to us and we believed it. We thought, this is amazing. Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. Jesus has given me life and we're excited about it. But into the church then come another group of Christians who are Jewish by background. They believe in Jesus too. They love Jesus. But the thing that they have that you don't have is a whole history. They've got a whole law. They've got a whole story going back. Oh yeah, Abraham, yeah, he's one of our great, 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 great grandparents, actually. And suddenly you begin to look and you begin to think, oh, well maybe we're not quite the true people of God. Can you see how the Gentiles might begin to feel the imposter syndrome, right? So they're going to look for something that they can do that will prove that they really belong. And so when the group of Jewish Christians begin to say, no, you need to keep our laws, the Gentiles are very likely to say, yeah, well, we'll do that, because that will then prove that we belong. That's what's going on in Galatia. So what is it, we began to talk about this last night, what is it that justifies us? What is our justification? What is your confidence today that you really belong to the people of God? How do you know that you really are loved by God and accepted? How do you know that you have a place in his people? How do you know that you are in God's team with God? How do you know? If your answer to that question starts with the word I, I think we might have a problem. You see, look what Paul says. This is what Paul is trying to argue now. He's trying to explain to them his confidence. Oh, and honestly, if we can get this, my hope is that you will leave this place today so confident of who you are in Christ. Look at verse 19, let's get into this. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Okay, what does that mean? Well, first up, he starts to talk about the law. He's not talking about the law of Turkey or Rome. He's talking about the, the Jewish law, God's law, the Ten Commandments, the, the, the Mosaic law, all that God has told his people about how they're to live. So here are the the Jewish people, and God gave them his law. It was a beautiful gift, right? There's nothing wrong with the law. It was what marked out God's people. God saved his people by grace. Look, you have to understand this. The Old Testament, the, the story has always been God saves people by grace. It's always been by grace. It's not like it was works and then along came Jesus and now it's grace. It's always been grace. He saved them by grace and then he gave them his law and said, here is my law that will mark you out as mine. Live this way. 
They were super excited about the Lord. It was good. It was so good. But now Paul says, through the law, I died to the law. Paul says, something has happened in my relationship with this law so dramatic that I have now died to that law, which was so good. Why? What happened? Well, there was a problem with the law. No, not a problem with the law. A problem with the people. Such that this law, which was a really good gift, became a curse to them. Okay, let me, um, I don't know if this is going to work. Let's try it. I was once given a t-shirt. It was blue. On the front of my t-shirt, there was a great big Mr. Happy. Bright yellow, smiley Mr. Happy. I'm thinking he said, Mr. Happy. And I was so pleased with my t-shirt that I was, I don't know, I was probably late 20s. Just to give you a vibe. I was, I, but I loved it. And the reason I loved it was because it meant that someone had given it to me, I presume because they thought it was appropriate to me. And they were saying, you're, you're a sort of happy person, I want to give you a Mr. Happy t-shirt. And I was very proud on my Mr. Happy t-shirt because it sort of said something about who I was. And I'd put my Mr. Happy t-shirt and I'd walk around and I'd feel happy. It was good. change had to take place. But how on earth did you die to the law, Paul? What does that mean? Well, 
unfortunately, the next verse tells us how he died to the law so that he might live for God. How did you make a break with this law, which was good, but became a curse and actually condemned you? Verse 20 tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What was the break? What was the means by which he could die to the law and now live for God? He tells us that it happened when he was crucified. But Paul, you're not, you're, you're writing a letter. Crucified people don't tend to do that, right? They tend to be dead. What, what do you mean, Paul? Well, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. So he is saying that when Jesus Christ was crucified, when he was nailed to a cross, that was the moment when Paul, under the law, died. If you like, that was when grumpy Paul died, who couldn't live up to the Mr. Happy T-shirt. He died. He died when Christ died. What, what does that even mean? Well, what it means is that in a remarkable way, Paul and Jesus, their stories are fused together. That as Paul takes hold of Jesus, as Paul puts his trust in Jesus, as he's united to Jesus, Christ's story becomes Paul's story. Why would Christ be crucified? How, how does that help? How does Christ being crucified help Paul to die to the law? Well, because when Christ was crucified, he was crucified under that law. So the law that stood against Paul, the law that condemned Paul, Christ took that it was placed on Christ. So Jesus comes, and we're going to see loads of this in chapter 3. Jesus comes, he lives under that law, perfectly under the law. He is always the Mr. Happy who fits the Mr. Happy t-shirt. He's always perfect. And yet he then dies, not for his own breaking of the law, but because Paul broke the law. And Paul says, now, because Christ has died, I have died. That law that used to condemn me, which was good but used to condemn me, it no longer condemns me because I've died to it. It's got no hold on me anymore. I now live for God. Christ's death set Paul free from the law. And now look what he says. Now I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He explains it again in verse, um, second half of verse 20. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what Paul is saying. A resurrection has happened. He's died and risen again. That's resurrection. He's died to the law which condemned him and he's been raised to new life. Not under law anymore. He's dead to that. Now... Christ. 
So to put it in the terms of a t-shirt, maybe I'm pushing this analogy too far, but you know me. Grumbly Paul has now been crucified, is dead. And now what has been raised is Paul made happy with the happiness. Look, it's Christ, right? Christ now lives in Paul in such a way that it's no longer Christ, it's no longer Paul who lives, it's Christ. So you have Paul under law, gone. Paul in Christ, now alive. Look, I, these, these truths are so fundamental to us. So I want to really push you to think about this. I think we often say that Christ justifies me. Alright? Or, or, or what we mean is that Christ is the one who forgives me my sin and he sorts me out. You know, here I was in trouble. He sorts me out and then he puts me over here and he says, right now you're fine. But actually that's not what Paul says. Actually what Paul says is it's now Christ who lives in me. So it's not just that Christ justifies me, it's that Christ is my justification. So you know all those songs we were singing earlier, we sing those words like, Christ is my righteousness. Same word, Christ is my justification. How do I know that I'm right with God? Because I'm in Christ. So to be honest, let's push this, if you think you're a rubbish Christian, actually what you think is that Christ is a rubbish Christian. Don't do that. He's really good. He's the Son of God, who's eternally approved by His Father. And you're united with Christ, which means you're not a rubbish Christian. You can't be. Your status is united with Christ, and you go, yeah, this sounds nice, but is it, you know, but it doesn't feel like that. But it's true. It's what Paul says, it's what we believe. And so Paul says, the life I now live in the body, he's still talking about being in the body, he's still saying that I'm living this life now, but it's different to what it was before. Because now Christ lives in me. We're going to sing a song at the end which captures this perfectly, that phrase that we love to sing, yet not I, but Christ in me. So when you go to work tomorrow, or when you go to university tomorrow, or when you're changing nappies tomorrow, when you're cutting hair tomorrow, whatever you're doing, Christ is doing that. Because Christ is in you. Do you not see the dignity that that gives your life now you live? It's, it's not like Jesus is interested in your kind of religious bits on Sundays. Christ in you means now you go into this world as a justified Christ in you person. You carry Christ with you and in you and everything you do is Christ in you. Not I. I can't live this life. I can't be a good husband. No, you can't. Christ can't. Christ in you. I can't, I can't keep living this way. I can't fight this sin. I can't do this thing. I can't be this friend. I can't meet this need. I can't fight this sin. Christ in you. That's justification. And so Paul says at the end of verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. 
I'm never giving up on that process. I'm not going to set that aside for something else. Because if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If we're going to go back to the law, if we're going to begin to think, I've got to justify myself, I've got to keep some rules, I've got to do this stuff in order to prove that I'm worthy, in order to prove that I'm good enough, then you are saying, Christ, you died for nothing. That's, what, that's what's at stake. You know the night before Jesus died on the cross? He was in a garden, right? And he was overwhelmed with sorrow. And in that garden, he prayed this. Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. If there's any other way than me bearing the curse, if there's any other way than me being crucified, if there's any other way to save human beings, please take this cup from me. Do you think if there was any other way that the Father would not have just taken that cup from you and said, oh, actually, no, it's fine, they can keep the law. It's right, they can get justification through the law. I can, they can keep the law, then I'll be pleased with them. No, there is no other way. There can be no other way. Christ, only Christ. And that means to be a Christian doesn't mean that you're a good person. It doesn't mean that you're trying hard. To, to be a good to become a Christian doesn't mean you try a little bit harder. It doesn't mean you keep a bunch of rules. It means that you are united with Christ. He was crucified. You've been crucified. He was raised. You've been raised. He lives. You live. His life in you. He works through you. Christ in you. Man, I can bang on about this because it's so important. But this will transform you. Because if you've got Christ living in you, and so do you, do you not see that we can't compare each other? How could it possibly be that you might even like, I don't really belong here? You've got Christ in you. You say that Christ doesn't belong here? That's the first big thing. Christ is your justification. He died so that you might be set free from the need to prove yourself died so that you might have righteousness. And that's why Paul, I think, gets so passionate in chapter 3, verse 1. I mean, it's strong, isn't it? You foolish Galatians. And I think I'm quite a passionate preacher, but I don't think I've ever preached like that. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? This church that Paul is writing to, they have done something that Paul says is so foolish, almost to the point where they've been bewitched. Remember um, learning to ride a bike? Learning to ride a bike? That was a fun game, wasn't it? I don't know if you had um, grown-ups in your life who did this, but my dad put stabilizers on my bike. Who else had stabilizers on their bike? Yeah, good. Very sensible way to learn to ride a bike. Off you go. Down the road, and you kind of you wobble there, you slide from side to side, but it's okay, you've got a stabilizer to catch it. Uh, who still has stabilizers on their bike? Actually, don't ask that, because if you do, I don't want to embarrass you. But <laughs> most of us don't. Okay, we move on. We had a weird thing in my house. My dad decided that the next phase from two stabilizers was not no stabilizers, but was one stabilizer. <laughs> did anyone else do this? This was madness. It did not help me to learn to ride a bike. He took one stabilizer off, so now I'm riding down the road, and I go, 
Okay, and then I go, oh, I see. I choose to lean this way. So all it told me to do was to lean like, like one knee like this. Anyway, he took that one off, and then I just fell over, and then eventually learned to ride a bike. Here's my point. Stabilizers, they get you started, but you're supposed to move on, right? When it comes to the grace of God, when it comes to faith in Jesus, you don't move on. You see, loads of us, I think, sort of imagine that kind of grace and, and, and faith in Jesus, that's what gets you started, but then you've got to grow up as a Christian. Then there's some stuff you have to do. So yeah, you get in by faith, but you carry on by your hard work, by your effort. You keep the rules. That's where it comes, I'm a rubbish Christian because I'm not keeping the rules well enough. As soon as you begin to think you're a rubbish Christian, it shows you that you're now moved away from grace, and now you think it's about you. And Paul says, what are you doing? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Again, Paul says, it's all about Jesus being crucified. It's all about the death of Jesus. He was crucified for you. And Paul is talking about when he first got to Galatia and he preached the gospel. What did he preach? Christ crucified. I need to tell you about a man who died. I need to tell you about a man who was flogged. Nailed to a cross and who died. And he died for you. He died to redeem you, to rescue you from slavery and to bring you into freedom. He died because you cannot be Mr. Happy all the time. He died because the law will only condemn you. He died to set you free. He died to justify you. He died so that you could be united to him. He died for you. Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And then he says, verse 2, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit that you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? He says, are you so foolish? How did you start? You started not by your effort, not by your works but by faith in Christ crucified, or same thing, by the Spirit. God's Spirit was given to you. you. Not your power, but Christ in you, His Spirit in you. You started with the Spirit. Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? By your effort, by your work? Are you now trying to prove yourself, justify yourself? Why are you shifting? This, I, I just want to really push this now because we, we've got to get, get the issue here. The issue of shifting. You see, the, the problem in Galatia is not that they think they're saved by works. The problem is they think they're saved by grace, but then they stay in by works. So they're saved by Jesus, but then you've got to do some stuff to prove that you're really in, to prove you're really justified. And Paul says, no, you are saved by grace, and you stay by grace, and you remain by grace. You start with faith, and you continue with faith. You start with the Spirit, and you continue with the Spirit. So if you're going to get on an aeroplane, imagine you're going to get an aeroplane. I don't really like flying, but imagine um, I see the plane, I, I, I get nervous with planes, and I look at the plane. I do this when I go on an aeroplane. I kind of look it in the eye before I get on it. It's quite important to me to kind of make that connection. I'm like, I'm going to trust my life to you. Are you, are you up for this? Are you, you know, 
I'm not going to let you mess around with me. And I look at it in the eye, all right? And I get on the plane. And then the plane takes off and I fly. That was the aim of the whole thing. I'm now flying. But imagine partway across the Atlantic, I say, plane, thanks, you've done a great job. This has been terrific. You've really, really done a great job. And now I think I can take it from here. And I open the door and I start to flap my arms. And off I go. Bonkers. Of course it's bonkers. That's what they're doing. In fact, I think you can read the whole of this passage, reinterpreting it with that idea, those two, that, that image of the plane. Should we have a go? Yeah, let's try. We're going to go from verse 19. By flapping my arms, I died to flapping my arms so that I might truly fly. I got in the plane and no longer flapped my arms, but I'm in the plane. I'm, I'm, I stay in the plane because the plane will keep me safe. I don't get out of the plane because if flying can be gained through flapping my arms, then the plane's for nothing. You foolish Galatians. It was bewitched you before your very eyes. The plane was clearly told to you. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you fly by flapping your arms or by getting in the plane? Are you so foolish? After beginning in the plane, are you now trying to fly by means of flapping the arms? <laughs> Have you flown so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, did you fly? And do loop the loops <laughs> by flapping your arms or by staying in the plane. So also Abraham got in the plane and that's how he flew. You can do the whole of Galatians like that. <laughs> Understand that. But you hear the point. Are you so foolish? And we listen to him and go, that's just stupid. Of course you would. That's what they're doing. And that's what we do all the time. When we start with Christ and we put all of our faith in Christ and then we think that I need to flap my arms. And we run around flapping our arms like crazy as Christians. Because we think if we flap hard enough, perhaps God will be pleased with us. So look at the details. You've begun by means of the Spirit. That's how you can fly. Stay with the Spirit. Stay in the Spirit. Paul says, you've experienced all this. Is that really in vain? All that you've experienced of God? He just keeps going with it. God doesn't give His Spirit to you and work miracles among you because He's impressed with you. This is what we do. We think, oh, if we could just be a better church, if we could just be, if we could be more impressive, then perhaps God would bless us more. Perhaps God would do more miracles. Perhaps God would do more impressive stuff if we were just better. If we could prove that we were worthy, if we could prove that we were just that we were justified. And Paul says, no, it's all because you believed what you heard. You believed the message of this crucified Jesus. Everything that you receive from God, everything, comes because Christ was crucified for you. God does not give to you 
because he's impressed with you. He gives to you because you're already justified. You're already part of his people. And just as a trailer, he throws in Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to his righteousness. How was Abraham justified? How was Abraham part of God's people? Same way you are, by faith. By believing God's promise. But Abraham is going to feature big time for the next few weeks. So we'll leave Abraham, because I think we've had enough for today. Let's try and have that. Unintentional. <laughs> so what? I hope that this will breathe a deep, deep confidence in your status before God. I hope that this will breathe a deep identity confidence into you. A confidence that you belong. That you are precious to God. That you are righteous. Because Christ is you. That's how it works. And we are always going to be tempted to try and prove ourselves. And we've got to stop. We've got to stop flapping our arms. If you're tired and you think, I'm not sure I can make it to the prayer meeting this week, but what will people think of me if I'm not there? Don't come to the prayer meeting. You don't need to. God loves you. You're free. There's grace. You don't have to prove that you're the most committed. You don't have to prove that you're the most awesome. You don't have to prove in your Bible study group that you're the most intellectual. You don't have to prove that you know more. You don't have to prove that you pray more. You don't have to prove that you behave better than everyone else. You don't have to prove anything because Christ has proved it all for you. And anything good that you do do is Christ in you. So if you do get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and pray for three hours, that was Christ that did that. Don't you go boasting about it. It was Christ in you that did that. And if you lie in for three hours because you're shattered, it was Christ that did that. See, it's not just that Christ does the spiritual stuff. No, it's the ordinary, everyday stuff. As we just get on with our lives, as we get on with our work, as we get on with loving our families, as we get on with being housemates, as we get on with having disagreements about who's going to wash up the stuff in the sink, as we get on with that stuff, Christ in you, your security is Christ in you. You don't have to prove anything. He loves you. And my... My absolute confidence this afternoon is that there will be some people in this room who just find it so hard to believe that's true. And if that's you, if you find it so hard to believe that you really belong, that you're really loved, that you're accepted as much as anyone else, then I, I want to pray for you and ask that even this afternoon you hear with faith here with faith that God loves you. Here with faith that he gave his son for you. Here with faith that Christ died so that you don't have to be Mr. Happy. Here with faith that Christ 
and made you righteous. Let's pray together. Father, please help us. Help us to hear with faith. Help us to delight that in Christ, united with Christ, we are justified. Father, thank you that we have nothing to prove. Thank you that there is nothing to earn. Thank you that there are no works that we have to do. Thank you that in Christ we can rest. And in Christ we can let your spirit work through us. And that as we go into our weeks that we say, Christ, it's you working through me. Lord, please, so we pray particularly for those in this room. We find this hard to believe. Even as we share communion now, even as we sing, would you meet people in a very precious way? And would you let them know that this is true and that you love them and that you're for them in Jesus' name.